What do you say about a video like that? <laughs> Not much, believe me. It did make me think, though, uh, about uh, my English composition class back in high school and college. And uh, for those of you who uh, are big English buffs or you like uh, to write and you're into creative writing, there was a thing that they taught you, a little uh, content uh, called simile. And uh, simile uh, basically is where you uh, take a concept and you try to describe what it is like by comparing it to something else. For example, like that video right there. That video was like the painful experience of going to a dentist office, sitting in the chair, and having all your teeth pulled, you know? Uh, that's what simile is. It, it's like something. And so I found a list on the Internet about college freshmen when they first come in that they have to learn this concept of comparing things in their English class. And here's kind of a top five list of uh, what college freshmen did by using simile. Number five, her hair glistened in the rain like nose hair after a sneeze. (laughs) Number four, I like this one. From the attic came an unearthly howl. The whole scene had an eerie, surreal quality. Like when you're on vacation in another city and Jeopardy comes on at 7 instead of 7.30. (laughs) Number three, her date was pleasant enough, but she knew that if her life were a movie, this guy would be buried in the credits like the second tall man. Yeah, I I wondered if that was very funny myself. Thanks for laughing. Appreciate that. Uh, Number two... The hailstorms leaped from the pavement, just like maggots when you fry them in grease. Yeah, never done that before. And here's the number one simile that I found, actually from uh, somebody on staff, a college freshman. This is what he wrote. John and Mary had never met. They were like two hummingbirds who had never met. Derek Young, freshman year, right there. Okay, I have one more, and uh, check this out. Debt crashed upon them and buried them in an avalanche like a cold, dark mountain. I wrote that one because I've been there. And unlike those first few that we talked about, that isn't very funny, especially if you've ever been in debt or you're struggling with debt right now. I mean, when you feel like you're underneath the avalanche of debt, you just feel this sense of desperation. And you are feeling smothered, like you can't come up for air. And you feel like you are literally being buried alive. And what debt does is that it kills your joy, it steals your peace, and it just sucks the life out of you. And I think that's why Jesus talked about money more than he did anything else in the Bible. In fact, he talked about money twice as much as he talked about heaven and hell combined. Five times he talked about money more than he did about prayer. And four times there are the amount of verses, uh, 2,000 of them, about money and possessions where there's only 500 in the New Testament on faith and prayer. And so maybe that's why Jesus said these words. Where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. Because Jesus knew that debt and money had an ability to have this incredible opportunity of stealing your heart away. Now, I want you to know that money management was not taught a lot in my home when we were growing up. And in the first couple of years that my wife Jennifer and I were married, we were horrible at this thing called money management. So, 
if you don't money, uh, manage your money very well, I just want you to know that I can relate because I've been there. I've been a prisoner to debt. But I hope what can happen today is that you can learn from some of my mistakes and that you can take this opportunity to say today's the day that I'm going to work on this issue of debt. And I'm going to share some practical principles that you can apply into your life that you could use your uh, money better in a more God-honoring way instead of kind of being buried alive in, in debt. Now today, I want to look at a famous passage of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 15, and it's often uh, referred to as the story of the prodigal son. And it's a story about a guy who is just overwhelmed with life. It's a story about a God who is so passionate for people that He will literally move heaven and earth to have a relationship with us. That regardless of how many times we flub up, mess up, or screw up in this thing called life, that there is this passionate Father who runs after us. And this story illustrates, I think, not only His love for us, but also why so many of us get into financial trouble. So let me just begin by asking this question, how is it that we get into debt? And I'm going to give you kind of five um, financial mistakes that the guy in this story makes uh, through his life and that he falls into. Here's the first one. Overestimating the importance of wealth. He just overestimates the importance of wealth. In Luke chapter 15, this young guy is consumed with what I call the myth of more. You know what the myth of more is, right? If I just get more, 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 then I'll be satisfied. If I could just get more cash, if I could just have more wealth, then my life would be exciting and full. And that gets so promoted in our culture today. Any of you uh, know who this guy is that will come up on the screen? Who is that? Donald Trump. The man who has the worst hairdo in the world. I mean, he would be better just to shave it off. You know what I mean? Just let it go. Um, It's not going to come back. But he's one of around 500 uh, billionaires uh, that are in our world. And uh, the problem with billionaires is that they often overestimate the importance of their wealth. In fact, Trump said this one time. He said, uh, whoever said money doesn't buy happiness just doesn't know which store to shop at. Okay? And sometimes we can fall into that same thing. Now look at what this gazillionaire, the richest man who has ever walked planet Earth, His name is Solomon said. Look at what he says. A good name is more desirable than riches. And look what else he said in uh, chapter 23 of Proverbs. He said, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the wild blue yonder. Now, please understand me at this point. To have possessions is not a bad thing. It's not bad to possess something. Just don't let your possessions possess you. And don't give in to the myths. The myths that say, if I just had more stuff, I'd be more happy. If I had more stuff, I'd have more friends. If I had more stuff, then... I would have a secure life. Friends, the truth is that the more stuff that you have, the more you have to take care of your stuff. And you have to protect it and polish it and repair it and insure it and secure it and stress out about it when you have more stuff. I heard a story this week about a guy who was at a softball tournament. And in the middle of the game... Uh, a storm came up, and uh, it actually was a hailstorm. And this hail started coming down, 
And instead of trying to take cover, this guy runs to his car, which was a Corvette. He lays on top of the hood and he allows his body to be beaten down with these hailstorms so that his hood would not be dented. Also, when you talk about this overestimating stuff, did you know that in 1960 there was no such thing as storage supply units? Just 50 years ago, there was no industry. It was non-existence. No one stored any stuff that they had to pay for to store their stuff. And today... There are over 30,000 facilities, and it's a $12 billion business. So people are making money off of you because you can't keep your stuff in your house. Come here, bring me your stuff, and I'll charge you to keep your stuff. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Folks, wealth is temporary, and it is very overrated. Here's the second mistake that will lead people into debt. Giving into instant gratification. When you just kind of give into instant gratification. That was the problem with this guy in our story in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus illustrates this story so well when he says this. A man had two sons. When the younger told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. His father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. Now, you need to know that in this culture, this was extremely disrespectful. In fact, it'd be disrespectful in our culture, right? I mean, uh, if you have two kids and uh, one of them comes up to you and you're only like, you know, in your 40s and they're like, Hey, Dad, I don't care when you die. I just want my stuff now that you're going to give me. I want my inheritance now. Smack! Right? No, no, I'm joking. But it just shows you in this story the desperate need this guy had for instant gratification. And folks, this is so prevalent in our culture today. We live in a now culture. I remember my grandmother used to talk about this cookie jar. And she would take anything that was disposable income, that means after you paid all your bills... Anything that was left over, you would put it in the cookie jar. And then you could go out and you could do whatever you wanted. And once all of that in the cookie jar was gone, guess what? You didn't spend anymore. But we don't live in that culture today. We live in a culture that says, now, don't postpone anything. Get whatever you can now. You know, our American culture has redefined normal. It's normal to have the same stuff as your neighbors. It's normal to put stuff on a credit card in which you have no plan whatsoever to ever pay it off. But it's normal to do that. It's normal to live at a level that took our parents 25 years to get to, and we want it now. Did you know that 81% of all college graduates, when they walk across the stage and they get their diploma that they leave with $4,000 worth of credit card debt. Not alone, they're, you know, they're student loans. You know what student loans are like? They're like a family pet. They never go away. They're just like always there. Folks, if you're in your 20s or your 30s right now, I want to talk to you. Because I want to tell you something. Don't take this road of instant gratification. And if you have done that and you're in debt, you know what? Do a U-turn. Go back to living a life that is balanced. Because instant gratification will only lead to more dead ends and dead beat debt in your life. 
You need, if you're in that age, to stop going down that road and to get on the road of contentment. And just face it, folks. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you're going to be broke for a while. You just are. You're going to be broke. But don't add to the brokenness. When I was 22 years old, uh, I pastored in a community in which there were more pigs than people. And uh, while I was there, um, I made $250 a week. That's what I made. And Jennifer and I uh, lived in an apartment that, uh, in the community, uh, they uh, called it the attic, the apartment that we lived in. Because basically, it was the attic of Mrs. Rumler's house. And Mrs. Rumler talked like this. And uh, it was just on the side, and, and the steps were outside, and they led up to her attic, And I don't know if the guy was drunk when he built the staircase or not, but every step was like a 45-degree angle. And in the winter, seriously, I actually would just get my sled and I slid right down because it was horrible. You you couldn't get down any other way. And you just kind of, I took this rope and I I would uh, climb back up it to get there and then would slide down. It was horrible. And uh, there was only one door in the entire apartment. That was the door that led into it. Everything else was open space, baby. You know, no interior doors at all. In the front room, when you walked in, there was this big circle right in the middle that was a grease stain from uh, a tenant before who thought it was a good idea to take his transmission and put it right in the middle and to work on it right there. Problem is, the grease never went away. And uh, when you walked through there, if you went to the left, you came to our bedroom. And uh, there, there was this gas furnace that must have been, like, built in the, you know, 40s or something. And all of it, I don't even know if they built gas furnaces in the, did they? Okay, good. And uh, there was this pipe that went straight up. And it was scary, actually, to sleep in that room because right in the middle of the night, you'd hear this pop. And you'd always be thinking, oh, man, you know, drive-by or something, you know. The hogs are taking over. I don't know. And so there was that. And then when you got to the kitchen, um, there was just grease, like, all over the walls. And I'll never forget when Jennifer walked in. My wife is, she's a clean freak. Let's just put it that way. I'm not staying here until we SOS everything. And so we literally bought like all these SOS pads and we scrubbed down as much as we could. And you couldn't get all the grease off. And this was what topped it all off. From that led into our bathroom. Our bathroom was so small that only one person could be in it at a time. There was no door to it whatsoever. And when you walked in, there was a toilet here and the bathtub was right there. And that was it. There was no shower. I mean, you took a bath or you didn't, you know, do anything. Now, as a young married couple, that wasn't such a bad deal. You know, I didn't mind that. But, I mean, this was a difficult kind of place. But I want to tell you something. That Jennifer and I are no happy today than we were 15 years ago when we were in that little apartment. Now, I'm certainly not asking the leadership team to start paying me $250 a week, okay? Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But at the same token, folks, it really doesn't matter. You simply have to be content with whatever season that you're in. Instead of always wanting more stuff right now. Let's go ahead and read this next uh, verse together. We'll read it out loud. It'll come up here. Uh, on the screen. Let's read it together. Beware. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Don't always be wishing for more stuff. Anybody here ever uh, make a decision in an impulsive way? Any? Oh, look at all this holy people. Oh, no. I'm the only one, right, that's ever made an impulsive decision. 
I mean, you know, the kind of thing in which you see it and you're like, I've just got to have this. I've got to have it right now. And now you still have it. And even though you're still paying on it, you don't even like it anymore. I know people who you actually own things, but you don't have it anymore. You're just still paying for it. And it happens with cars all the time, doesn't it? I can't tell you how many young guys I've uh, counseled in my office where uh, they get the, you know, the first job and they're single and so they got some extra income and they decide, I'm tired of this 1985 Ford Taurus. I'm going to get me something that's a real ride. And so I try to convince them, hey, you know, don't buy something new because when you take it off the lot, it's like depreciation right in half right there. Go to a used car place and you'll be fine. And, and uh, you know, they're driving and they're heading towards the used car place, but they see the car dealership. And they just think, I'll just pull in there for a second and see what they have. And they walk inside that room, that showroom, and there they see right in the middle this black, glistening SUV. Ah, you know? And they just can't resist. And they're looking at it and they're like, ah, that's my car. That's my ride. They even imagine, you know, driving down McGallier, just kind of boom, boom, boom. And everybody watching them. And they're like, yeah. And then they finally come to their senses and they're like, all right, you know, I really can't afford this. But if I don't buy another pair of jeans for the next three years, and for the next 16 months, you know, I don't eat breakfast and I only do lunch two times a week, I mean, I think I can do this thing. I think I can swing it. And they sign up for it, and they drive away in their dream ride. And then two months later, they're broke, they're bored, and they wish that they uh, would have done something different because now they have this payment book that looks like an encyclopedia that they have to pay for. And that person learns in that moment what it means to live upside down. Folks, resist impulsive buying or spending, especially when you know you can't afford it. Solomon, the richest guy who's ever walked planet Earth, said this. A thick bankroll is no help when life falls apart, but a principled life can stand up to the worst. Folks, just refrain from instant gratification. Here's a third thing. Self-destructive behavior. Self-destructive behavior. The guy in our story goes on and the story says, The younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That word squandered just sounds like you're doing something that isn't smart, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever wondered how much we squander or how much we waste. I mean, just think about the thousands of dollars that people will spend who can't control their drinking habit. What about those who have a $100 a day drug habit? What about those who waste so much money each year on pornographic magazines and DVDs and Internet hits? And folks, issues like that, it's not just about the money, but it's the fact that it's destroying that person's heart and it destroys families. I recently read uh, a story in the USA Today that explained how much money is lost in Las Vegas annually. So look at the person beside you, take a guess. How much money is lost in Las Vegas annually? Go ahead. $17 billion. The average American spends $1,100 a year on lottery tickets. That is more 
than half of what a person gives to charity each year. Maybe the guy in this story, he just partied so much until his self-destructive behavior brought him to a dead end. And it may have been more important for him to memorize the scripture that says, Listen, drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Here's the fourth thing that will drown you in debt. Spending more than you've got. Makes sense? Spending more than you've got. Credit card debt today is hovering around $600 billion. The average American family, that means of all of our families that are here right now, we would average $10,700 in credit card balances right now. But you know, I don't know if you are as important as I am, but I get these letters all the time. And I mean, right, right outside on the envelope, it says, you, yes, you have been pre-approved. And when I get those, I think, me? Thank you. I mean, I've been waiting my whole life for approval. And now these people say that I am going to approve, not just prove, but pre-approve you. And uh, they make your self-image feel so much better. And uh, they increase my credit limit. And they say, we trust you. We trust you so much. You don't even have to pay everything. We trust you so much. You just have to pay this thing called the minimum monthly payment. That will take 700 years to pay off, right? (laughs) And friends, I just want to tell you that if you get on the wrong side of this thing called compounding interest, it will destroy your life. There's people in this church that... Their lives were destroyed to the point where bankruptcy was the only option because they got on the wrong side of compounding interest. Psalm 37 verse 21 says this, Evil men borrow and cannot pay it back, but the good man returns what he owes with some extra besides. 1 Timothy 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with what we have. Last mistake that leads us into debt. Being unprepared for storms. Being unprepared for storms. Look at verse uh, 14 uh, in this story in chapter 15. About that time, this guy ran out of money. A great famine, (laughs) isn't that the way it always hits? A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. There are so many people that are unprepared for the storms of life. Newsweek uh, recently reported that uh, we have finally hit the point as an American culture in which our savings account like the average savings account of the American is in a negative balance. We don't have any more savings. You see, no one is prepared for storms when they're going to hit. Look at what it says in Proverbs 27. A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Proverbs 21.20 says, Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. A wise person saves for the future. Now folks, kind of like I said last week, this is not to bring fear to our lives, but this is so that we could live a more wise life if we prepare for storms. Because storms will come. Car repairs come. Emergency room visits come. Kids get ear infections a lot. 
someone, or you can lose your job. You can have your salary go down. Sometimes you're called to take care of your elderly parent. Now, I'm realistic enough to know that you can't prepare for every storm in your life. You just can't do that. But when you wisely plan, all of a sudden you give yourself a margin and allowance for the unexpected. Folks, storms are going to come, so you have to be prepared. Now, that's how you get into debt. And if we stopped there, you'd be like, great bunch, thanks a lot, you know. I could have stayed home today. But what I want to do now, I want to turn it around and let's look at God's word on how we can get out of debt. How can we get out of debt? How can we climb out of this thing called debt? The first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge the reality of where you are at. You have to look in the mirror and say, this is my financial picture. Don't try to make it look better. Don't try to make it look worse. You acknowledge where you're at. And that's what this guy does in Luke 15. He just acknowledges that my life has become a mess. And you know, the reality is, whether it's finances or anything, and people in Celebrate Recovery will tell you this all the time, it doesn't matter. But if you want to recover from anything, the very first step is to look in the mirror and say, my life has become unmanageable. I can't do it on my own. This is where it's at. So in verse 16 it says, The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the swine, the pigs, looked good to him. And no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, and there it is right there, you might want a circle of that. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired men have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. He's like, this stinks. My life is a wreck. I'm feeding pigs now. I'm in financial bondage. You just call it the way it is, friends. My father-in-law is a financial planner and he helped us out a lot. And uh, he works with a lot of different people. And he said, the biggest problem I have is that people will come and they'll set up an appointment and we'll look at everything and we begin to start a plan, which I'll talk about here in just a second. But he said, what happens almost 90% of the time is that when people get two to three months into it, when it's really hard, but they can begin to start seeing the difference, they'll be able to say, it's not so bad. I mean, I know Joe down the road, he's in a lot worse shape than I am. And all of a sudden what they do is, they were the hamster that got off the wheel, but then two or three months later, they just get right back on the wheel and they start doing things over and over and over again the way that they dealt with their money before. And they do it again. And you know what the Bible says that is, folks? That's slavery. In Proverbs 22.7, it says the borrower is the slave of the lender. And folks, that's what it feels like. That's the spirit of what it feels like. When you sign up for debt and you can't do anything else, you become a slave to it. And you give up your freedom. And folks, I share that with you because I've been there. I know what it was like. The first couple of years of marriage where you just felt enslaved by how much Jennifer and I owed. And so what you do is you think, oh, well, if I just make more money. And so, like for me, I became a track coach. That pays a lot, you know. And Jennifer took jobs and all of a sudden we thought, oh, well, it's not a big problem. We can just make more and more and more money, you know. And the pressure just becomes too tight. And I want you to know, God doesn't want you to live under that pressure. He really doesn't. He doesn't want you to be buried alive in debt because it steals your joy. And when you're in the midst of debt, all of a sudden, Christmas, you're like, ah. Birthdays come and you're like, ah. You go on a vacation, you're like, why are we doing this? You go to the movie theater and you're, ah, I'm not going to get popcorn, you know. 
Because you just know, I'm adding to the problem. I'm not helping anything out. And folks, God doesn't want you to live that way, and it doesn't have to be that way. Acknowledge where you're at. Here's the second step. Develop a plan of attack. You simply develop a plan of attack. Folks, nothing changes in your life without a plan. The young guy in this story, he understood that. And so he's like, my life stinks. It's horrible. I'm feeding pigs now. This is where I'm at. But I'm going to go home now. I'm going home. Enough is enough. I'm going back home and I'm going to tell my dad this and this and this and this and this. And he comes to his senses and he develops a plan. You know, every single significant event in your life came by some kind of plan or decision that you had to make. You decided what kind of job you would take. If you're married, you decided who you would marry. If uh, you're a Christ follower, you had to make a decision when you would give your life to Christ. And it's the same way with getting out of debt. You finally just have to say, this is the day, this is where I'm at, I've decided no more debt, I'm claiming war on debt. I'm tired of the bondage, I'm tired of the insanity, I'm tired of just kind of making it by. And God promises that this can happen. Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of hardworking people earn a profit, but those who act too quickly become poor. You've got to get a plan. You know, often the number one plan that people tell me all the time, uh, when I ask them about debt, they'll say, Well, I just kind of pretend it doesn't exist. What do you mean it doesn't exist? It's there. Everybody knows it's there. I read a story this week about a guy. This was his plan to take care of his debt. He went and got one of those uh, change of address moving cards from the post office. And he wrote out a fictitious address, but he never moved. You know, I mean, that is not a good plan. Neither one of those are a good plan. Pretending it's not there or going to the, you know, and some of you are like, oh, I never thought about that. (laughs) I'm going to hit like all this stuff. Boy, we're concerned about people at the jar. They've all moved, you know. Let me give you uh, four steps to a simple plan. Here's number one. No more debt. You say today, no more debt. I'm not going to take on any more debt. I'm done. I'm through. No more debt. Here's the second thing. As soon as possible, as you can, once you say no more debt, then you need to establish an emergency fund. Now, I know some of you are looking at me going, I don't even have enough for any kind of fund. Yeah, you do. You can do it. It may take time. But uh, for Jennifer and I, what that meant was $10 a month that we started saving back over a period of time. For some of you, maybe you could do 25 50 100 whatever it is. But you take it and you put it in a savings account. And you say, No! And if you want a new haircut or you need new rims for your car, you don't go over to that and go, oh, I'll take that. No, no, no. You say, stay. Leave it there. An emergency fund. Because when a storm comes, then you don't get so affected by it. Here's the third thing. Pay off your debt smallest to largest. Pay off your debt smallest to largest. Now, some of you are like, well, why would you do that? Do the largest one first, man. I'm tough. No, you're not. You're in debt. You need to get some energy in your life. So you take the smallest thing that you have a debt on and you start working on that. And when you pay that off, I'll never forget when Jennifer and I paid off the first credit card. We were like, ah, it's like breathing free. So you pay off the smallest thing first and you get some victory and all of a sudden you check things off your list and you're like, ah, this is it. This is working. Because you have a plan now. Let me just say that if you're married, um, make sure you guys talk about this together. And when you sit down, don't have an accusing finger and go, I knew that you paid for all those video games, you know? Or whatever the thing is, you know, that is there. Those Longenburger baskets, my gosh, I could take those baskets and burn them, you know? I mean, just don't do that. You sit down honestly, humbly, ask without pointing fingers, and you say, all right, no more hiding stuff. 
You want to help your marriage right now, today, if you're married? Just say you're not going to hide stuff anymore. You're going to be honest, especially with your financial picture. Did you know that 54% of all marriages end in divorce because of this issue? It's not about the sex. It's not about the in-laws. It's about money. Friends, the vows did not read till debt do us part. Okay? That's not what it's about. Don't let things win in your life. You sit down and you work through it. Jennifer and I had been married two years and we were in huge credit card debt. And uh, we finally decided we got to get this thing, you know, in control. We're only in year two, you know. And so we sat down and we started to uh, work at it. The problem was Jennifer and I, neither one knew how to do a budget. So we had to humble ourselves even more. We had to ask a friend of ours who was an accountant to come. And he brought this ledger sheet out. And we started writing down all the things. And he said, if you do this plan, I think in the next year you could be out of debt. And all of a sudden, he started writing all these things down. And one of the things that he found out with us is that we used the credit card to go out to eat all the time. We're like, no problem, man. God, I'm hungry. Come on, you know. And we would just do that constantly. And it got way out of control. Also, uh, as we sat down, we realized that we were only giving 5% of our income to God. I'm the pastor of the church. And all of a sudden, we felt this real commitment that we would increase our giving by 1% when we chose this plan until we got to the 10% number that God uh, encourages Christians to give. Now, to do all of this, we had to cut some things. And one thing was we had to cut up our credit cards. We took every credit card we had, we cut them up, and we were done with them. And then uh, we developed this budget, and we had an item called entertainment. You know what the uh, budget amount for entertainment was before we started the plan? Whatever we wanted it to be. And now all of a sudden we had to do a budget. Guess what that number was? $10. Jennifer and I would go to the local uh, Pizza King that was right down there. and We would order a medium pizza. And uh, they'd say, oh, we're running late. No problem. Take your time. And they would bring this pizza right in front of us. Once a month, that was our entertainment. And that pizza would sit there. We would just eat it slowly. (laughs) Slowly. They'd be ready to kick us out. And we're like, no, no, no. We're not done with our entertainment yet, you know. And we'd just keep on eating. And uh, But I'll tell you what. After a year, folks, we were out of debt. And we haven't been a prisoner to debt since then. And I know that I don't understand all the realities of your life, but I have a feeling that there are some people here today that if we looked at your debt today, you would say, I feel like I'm in a prison. I feel like I can't get out. And I just want you to know that there is help. In fact, we believe in this so much in the jar that tomorrow night we're going to begin a freed-up financial class that will be meeting at Teresa O'Brien's house. It's a small group, so it's not like you're going to have to be in a big group of people and kind of bare your soul. It's going to be small and intimate. And uh, a couple people who have both struggled with finances in their life but have kind of turned the page for that will be leading this class. And it's at 7 o'clock. Child care is provided. And for some of you, it would be the best decision of your life if you did that. Proverbs 14.23 says this, Hard work always pays off. Mere talk puts no bread on the table. So folks, once you get the plan and you start doing all these things, the last thing is you have to do it now. Don't wait till tomorrow. A lot of people are like, oh, I'll wait, I'll get around to that. No, you won't. You should say today, I'm doing it now. I'm writing it down now. That's what the kid in our story said. I'm going home. I'm going home now to tell my dad. Proverbs 6.10 says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. You know what insanity is, right? Recovery says this all the time. It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. That's insane. Because the reality is, the bills are still going to keep coming. The credit card folks are going to keep on calling. So don't put off developing a plan. 
Do it now. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. You owe it to God to do it now. Here's the next thing. Last thing. Humbly ask your father for help. You just simply humbly ask your father for help. That's what happened in this story in Luke 15. It says, The boy returned to his father, and while he was still a distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. You know what, gang? That's what God wants to do for you. If you would just come to him and you would say financially, this is my picture, or this is where my messed up life is, God isn't going to say, ah, screw you. You messed up. It's your fault. No problem. God, whatever. Get out of here, you screw up. God doesn't do that. In this story, He runs to us. That's what God would want to do right now. He would want to run to you and hug you and hold you and say, we can do this together if you'll let me. I mean, He really does want to help. It just begins when you humbly give yourself to Him. You know, I, uh, I love to play basketball. And uh, I've told you this many times before. But I'll tell you what, I'm sad now. I mean, I'm just horrible. I get on the court and it is just bad news. In fact, I have a partial ACL tear right now from playing basketball. You know what that's a cause of? You're old and you're no good. Okay? That's it. And if you're a guy around my age, around 40, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, your mind is like, man, I'm going to juke this guy. I'm going to go there. And your body says, no, 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 no. You've not, you're not going there. You're never going there again, you know. And it's hard. But one of the things that I've learned is that I have some limitations now in my life. And we've all got limitations. I mean, there are just some things in your life that you cannot do on your own. And today, for some of you, the biggest limitation that you have is that you're just in debt. And I want to encourage you that you can climb out of debt, but you have to go to your father and humbly ask him. Because the biggest issue, folks, when it comes to debt, is not the numbers issue. It's a character issue. And the only way that a character issue gets resolved is when you humbly come to your Heavenly Father and ask for help. I mean, I know this. I've experienced it. The only way I got over pride and envy and immaturity is when I went to God. And He said, I can replace those things with humility and contentment and generosity. Let's look at what this uh, last verse says. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It'll come up on the screen and uh, let's go ahead and, and we'll read it together. Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. You know, I was thinking about it today, about how we would close our time together. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, the biggest thing is that we should just kind of show our dependency upon God. And it really doesn't matter whether you have been a Christ follower for 50 years, or you're here for the very first time, and you're just checking this stuff out. The best thing that you could do today is simply to ask your Heavenly Father to say, God, you know, would you teach me how to be content? Would you teach me that you really are more than enough? God, that in this moment, that you would just show me right now 
that you are for me and that you have the power to help me through this time. And so I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, we just need a time maybe just for us to connect with God and and for us to worship him. That he really is truly more than enough. So let's stand. Let's have a moment with God and then the band will, will kind of lead us. Father, we uh, come to you today. And we need a moment from you. For some of us, God, the, uh, if we were honest and we acknowledged exactly where we're at, God, the debt would just feel so overwhelming. But God, we know that you can do all things. And so I just pray right now, God, that you would give folks a moment just to connect with you. there to be a sense of dependency upon you. To say, God, today's the day. I need your help. Help me to, to see that you really are more than enough. Give us that moment, I pray right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Yeah.